and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and & Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. With me today, uh, I met another amazing, wonderful friend of mine who we've met during lockdown and everything. It's oh, so exciting. Uh, it's the wonderful Dee Harding. Dee, hello, welcome. Hello, it's good to be here. Thank you, thank you. Well, let's, let's start off like, Dee, how long have you been uh, running or playing in role-playing games for? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, for so long. Uh, I'm going to try and not out my own age. Um, since I was like 13 or 14, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, a friend uh, I kind of bumped into at a toy store when those were real life things. Um, and he was looking through the book selection and showed me, you know, this thing called D&D. And it was, I'm going to out my own age a little bit. It was second edition. And that was the beginning of the end, frankly. That was how that Amazing. was. Amazing. So have you always been into the sort of fantasy uh, role playing or are you uh, one of those people who like has fingers and lots of pies and is like oh, all of the role play? I like two varieties. I like on one hand, the really big names, like the things that are good. You know, they're good. They've got a long history over which they've developed. And on the other hand, really left fielders uh, that tend to be called classics so i'm a huge fan um of of, of nobilis which mm. is a little a little tiny well, it's not the book is enormous but it's absolutely beautiful um but jenna moran's work is fantastic fantastic so why don't we why don't we actually start with like how did we get to know each other d i think <laughs> this is this is us having a conversation but I, what, what why are we here i guess why, why are you and I talking to each other? Yes. <laughs> because I had a dumb idea and I managed to rope you into it, uh, which is, if anything, my only real superpower. Um, <laughs> so I had this really, I had this moment of frustration where I realised that, firstly, I'm, I'm definitely a forever DM. I get to play some stuff, which is great, but I have too many ideas and not enough willing victims, so I wind up running things forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is this is not a problem that I alone face. This is a problem that lots of people have. And the other problem that's packaged with that is, even though I love D&D, and even though I genuinely think Fifth is one of the best D&Ds there's ever been, mm-hmm. no one ever makes it to 20. We never get the full run. So, true. so I thought, how can I solve both of these problems at the same time? I know what I'll do. I'll convince uh, four people who I respect and think are you know, really switched on in the community to run uh, what is essentially an exquisite corpse of a D&D campaign where we'll run a bit and then pass them to the next person and then pass them to the next bit and then so on. Mm-hmm. And we'll get all 20 levels done. Probably we'll get all 20 levels done and we'll get to see each other's DM styles. Uh, we'll get to kind of reflect on it. It'll be a learning mm-hmm. experience for ourselves and for anyone who wants to follow us on that ridiculous adventure. And I already had a couple of people in mind and then I kind of went looking and I talked to our mutual friend Mira who you've had as a guest we've had (laughs) and she recommended you and Mm. I looked at what am I rolling and a bit of the DMs book club and I thought you know this is an excellent choice so here we are I wasn't fishing for compliments but I will take that compliment (laughs) (laughs) I'll put it on the wall with next to the Billy Bass fish but it's so true there's uh, yeah hashtag forever DM it's one of those Mm. things where I think a lot of people Either they just do it because they're like, oh, well, this, I want to share this with everyone, and then they never get to play. Or lots of people are like, oh, I'd look, I really want to play more D&D, but mm, I don't want to because I'm worried or I'm nervous or anything like that. But, yeah, we're, we're coming at it like a, we've made a whole homebrew campaign through lots of different elements, which was some, was some of which we'll talk about today. And it's actually very exciting because I'm not aware of any current stream i think far from rivals of Waterdeep, which i think they i don't know what their creative process was but they have a rotating dm around every season i don't know if it's level based or not so yeah i'm actually really really excited 
to do this as a project. And I love how you're like, yeah, that's my superpower, roping people into projects. My superpower is being, or my weakness, I think, as a superhero is being susceptible to new projects. (laughs) I'm just getting roped in. Perfect mark. No, no, there's there's loads of, now that D&D has become cool, um, there's loads of streams where you'll see uh, one semi-famous or really famous in some cases kind of DM playing in another another DM's one shot mm. and you'll see a lot of kind of joint media being produced and that's really great uh, but you don't often get a kind of behind the curtain on it mm. and you don't often get that real what does someone else do with this material kind mm-hmm. of moment where you get to take something on and breathe life in someone else's ideas and see how it works mm. so I'm really stoked about that and I'm particularly stoked about it uh, because I'm last in the line. It's, yes. it's my idea, so I thought I would take the hardest the hardest job. So I'm at the very end of the process because I love I love wrapping things up. I love providing like satisfying denouement. Mm. And also I never let my players forget anything, which is something <laughs> we'll talk about through the rest of this episode, I think, mm. which is both incredibly mean and very rewarding and i'm hoping that you folks are going to throw out all kinds of trash and i'm just going to be sat making little notes <laughs> and then it'll all come back to haunt you in the like the final hour that one line in episode two and it's like oh no it's back i can't wait it's, oh, it's we, gonna be we've some really... done some prologue stuff and i've been like oh, this is interesting. I'm oh no i know you were like just again for the notes what was it and i was like oh no <laughs> someone's <laughs> someone's listened no yeah it's it, <laughs> It's ah, oh, it's gonna be. I I can't wait to, to for for our for our creative project to bear fruits. But that's not what what we're necessarily talking about today. We're not. I mean, we have to do a bit of a plug right at the beginning about Pantheon. Sure, sure, sure. But Dee, what have you brought for us to talk today? The DM's Book Club. What is the topic? Okay, so as before mentioned, I love kind of big name, big ticket, like like fantasy D and D style games and I also like the the weird little indies and I don't think this one's so little anymore it's got a lot of attention and rightly so I would like to talk about Buried Without Ceremonies Choir Year Mm. which is a wonderful wonderful little game and it's a great thing just to play for three to four hours with your pals outside of any other kind of structure or motive but Mm. where I think it really shines is getting your players to invest in a world mm. and then uh, later punishing them. So <laughs> I use the Quiet Year as well as a couple of other games, kind of pre-session zero in my D&D campaigns. Mm. And I'm, again, pitch mode to kind of recommend that people do the same. And mm. I'm happy to talk about how and why. Mm. Right up front, the Quiet Year says that it's a map drawing game, but mm. that's a out and out lie. <laughs> it is... There's a game in which you draw a map, but it's a community building game. Mm -hmm. And it's about kind of balancing off uh, each other's creative urge in a way that slowly draws you into this shared world. Mm. And that is gold dust. I have actually ran the quiet year for what am I rolling? It was me and my and my friend Sam, because we were both uh we both had nothing to do on a Friday night other than play video games. And we're like, no, let's let's do something creative. And again, we actually did it from the map point. Cause that's what that was what my main draw was. Cause I said to Sam, like, you love drawing. What about drawing your own map? And yeah, the deeper we got into it, the only way I can describe it is just like, yeah, you're telling a narrative, but it's it's the bigger picture. It's not the little scenes per se. And yeah, absolutely magical. And I don't think I've had another game like that since, like a, a world-building game, like you said, like pre-Session Zero, other than the, obviously with the Pantheon one. There are other ones out there, of course, but there's just something about the quiet year because it just focuses on this particular sort of this year you have to build yeah. this world. So yeah, no, I'm actually really, really excited to talk about it because yeah, I just remember 
thinking back to that night and again, us talking things through and making decisions, and we're like, oh, that was such a, a different kind of experience to, to what we would traditionally see as traditional role play. There's something really freeing in the fact that it is, it is one year. And also the narrative is really light. So I'm going to make mistakes here, but bear with me. The, the rough it. idea of the quiet year is that you are you're kind of in charge of a community and you've been at war, I think, with some nebulous creatures called jackals who were never explained, never described. Wonderful. And you know that a year from now, you're going to have to face these creatures, this event, this thing called the Frost Shepherds. Again, mm. never explained. Wonderful. I think Dale Kingsmill is like, calls this stuff nebulous and evocative or something like that. Mm. And it's it's that kind of jam. The Frost Shepherds are ever-present, but you never, you never know who they are. Mm. And in that, year you are encouraged to build as much as you can to prepare so you know you're doomed but at the same time you're trying to build as much as you can and that mm. constraint it, that welcome constraint is really powerful in terms of creation because you don't really have much to start with it just talks about again the, with the setup uh, again when we did it we were in person but again perfect for online as well is that you you make sure your space is very minimized any anything that doesn't need to be there so like you know, your drinks or whatever or, or snacks put them to the side so again i can imagine like clearing if, if one wants to clearing the desktop a little bit having the shared program of closing down all the windows and stuff and then just getting ready to to, to play why don't you just give us a brief overview about how it works as the, the quiet year? So what, what do we need to know? What are the key points about it? Okay, so it, although it, I mock it, it is, it is a map-drawing game. And you start off where you decide what kind of community you want to build. And then each of you kind of goes around the table. I think it's good for four. I've run it with up to four people. You kind of go around the table and you decide what features and what resources you want to put onto the map to start with. And you don't have to be a good artist. I've goodness no. knows I'm not I'm okay with maps, but I'm not, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm no one's favorite artist. You assume that the community's got about 60 or 80 members and you're just putting in one detail a piece, you sketch on the map, you put some resources, you sketch them on the map, and you kind of start looking at the year in terms of one week to the next week to the next week. And it's built around a deck of playing cards. There's a thing called the Oracle, which is kind of a table of what each card in the deck represents or means. Mm -hmm. um, and you kind of need that side by side. But you split the deck into suits, which are your seasons. I think it's hearts of spring and then diamonds of summer and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, and you work your way through the shuffled seasons. And each time you flip a card over, some event happens. And each person goes in turn and has to deal with that event. They can also start a project. And then somewhere where you get into winter, there's, I think it's the king of spades. When that turns over, the frostship is arrived and you're done. You're finished. So that's the, the rough idea of the whole deal. There's, there's one other thing which I want to mention, and it's it's a beautiful mechanic that I've not seen anywhere else, and it's it's contempt. I think anyone who knows me knows I'm going to spend a moment talking about contempt, which is if something happens that you feel you weren't consulted in or it doesn't respect, you know, things you've put into, into play beforehand, people start projects you don't agree with, um, you don't really get to speak out of turn or say no. It's mm. The whole game is very yes and it's very improvisational. Uh, instead, you can take a piece of contempt, like a token that represents that you don't like this thing. And because it's a silent, voiceless thing, players... I mean, mine do, and I would invite you to really ham up the taking of contempt. They're really like, <laughs> I don't like this. My whole face makes it look like pissed in my cereal. I'm just like, no, I'm whatever. I'm going to take this thing. If you then later want to act selfishly, 
to the known like detriment of your community, you can discard a contempt token to justify your behavior. So it's this weird mill which sort of says, you've acted like a dick, I don't agree with you, and I'm taking this so that you know later I will also act like a dick. And the fact that it's this visual, visible economy, mm. A, draws people together and makes them tend to act less crappily to each other mm. but b when that's unavoidable turns it almost into art and that's wonderful i think for me like i remember that how he talks about discussions were literally I, again i can't remember the phrasing from the actual book but it was like three line discussions of they said like i think we should do this and then certainly for for uh, me doing a two-player one so i think we should do this the person would respond and i go no <laughs> and then i would do it but yeah it's interesting this sort of game again i, th- I assume with all sort of world building games that yeah like you said it's very yes and like it's collaborate it's building on each other without necessarily like uh you know tr- tramping on people's ideas but this allows players to go to do that and even if you fought hard you know in that small time you discuss and you fought hard for your corner but the majority think no it gives you that option and i just yeah there's something beautiful about like well i'm just gonna take it and screw you guys you know and yeah. it's like oh, there's something about and i've done this a lot with solo rpgs recently i love getting prompts which are very short and like just very evocative so yeah with the the way that the seasons work and the cards and stuff you get the other thing to say is that when you get a card so say if you did pull say the the ace of hearts so that's the first one in spring you get two choices as the as the person so for example in this one you get what group has the highest status in the community what uh, what must people do to be gain inclusion in that group or are there distinct family units in the community if so what family structures are in common so i like that that when you pull it you get the choice between two questions or two different prompts because sometimes you'd be like oh this doesn't fit at all with what i've got at least you've got that creativity and you can just reading it aloud to other people or or silently i think it does talk about it silently but for audio podcasts i read them aloud Mm -hmm. and yeah all all of the prompts i seem to remember were very good and the thing for me what i really loved i'm sure you probably loved it too is that the idea that the the jackals and the frost shepherds these sort of outside uh, enemy forces in quotation marks they're never explained and it was just something i remember when we did pull the the frost shepherds came and then we had to describe what happened like and we were like well we don't know uh, and so we did that. We just were like, these people came back to the community and it had been completely decimated and no, they didn't see them coming. And it's, oh, it was such a very, very emotional moment with a lot of red wine. <laughs> yeah, a real gut punch when the brush shepherds eventually occur. It's like, oh, crap. Yeah. Which leads me on to this thing where quiet year is wonderful to run as standalone in an evening. But in my opinion, mm-hmm. the place where it really shines is if you use it pre-session zero as a lead into your campaign for two main reasons. The first one is because it's so vague and evocative, that's the phrase. Because it's vague and it's evocative, you can re-theme it as much as you like. And if you're the DM for the campaign, you can kind of lean on the other players and sort of say, okay, you know, this is the kind of community we're talking about. These are the kind of resources we're gonna we're gonna deal with. You can start making small choices ahead of play to, to skew the whole system in a particular place. Mm-hmm. You can replace the jackals with whoever you like. And you can, if you want, replace the washups with whoever you like, although we'll come on to that in a bit, I think. Um, which means if you do all of those things, then it can be anywhere. It can be any community that faces a conflict and has to recover and then has some kind of doom ahead of it. Mm-hmm. And most, not all, but most big kind of D&D style campaigns have that kind of structure in its past. So that means you've got an opportunity to let your players weigh in on the world and build things and introduce things in a free form way. 
Is this now a good time? Shall I start rattling on about yes, my home Yes, please. Game? Absolutely. Go for it. So tell us Great. about your home game, which you use this in. <laughs> Sorry, okay. I was in I was in trance. By what you, were, you were very passionate, so I was like, yes, please. Okay, so uh, my home game is a little campaign called Ruin Heart, and it's uh, designed to do something I've not done before. So my previous game, I think a lot of folks' games, is designed to kind of be epic, is to have that uh, Lord of the Rings type scale, if not content, where you want people to be hanging off of mountains and, you know, stabbing dragons and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I've done a a couple of those and I thought, this is great and I'm having a lot of fun, but I'm a problem solver and I want to solve a couple of things. And one is, you know, making sure people are invested and want to keep on coming back. And the other is, I kind of feel like a lot of this is quite... It's like Hollywood movie, sort of scale evocative. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of great cinema out there and a lot of great books out there that are like real gut punches, like the end, like when the Frost Shepherds show up at the end of this game, Mm. um, or kind of really grab you where you live. I thought, you know what, I want to run a campaign that really grabs hold of, of my players and gives them a shake. And that when they feel catharsis, it's it's like a real feeling like they're mm-hmm. like, oh god okay so to do that i need to get them in i need to get them invested i need to get them trapped i don't mean like you know i just you want to hook them yeah not trapped i want to hook them in <laughs> and the way the quiet ear helps you do that is by helping your players build parts of your world that they feel really invested in mm-hmm. and they'll do it naturally so um my version of this uh, i run quiet year the kind of scenario was uh, you're elves, you've come to this world through kind of portals from the place where you live and you're trying to build an outpost, but the natural world isn't having any of it and you keep on having to fight it off. You've just lost this big battle. You've got a year to kind of make your community work and then at the end of it, you're hearing omens and rumours that these things from the Frost Shepherds will show up and, mm. you know, who knows if you'll survive that. So I kept that part intact. Mm-hmm. So my, my players play this community of elves and they introduce all kinds of weird creatures are nonsense there's like kind of semi-illusory fish who swim through the air which is awesome like weird children who get lost into the woods and then come back changed bears who have the powers of witches like there's all kinds of strange things and one of the things they decide off the cuff is that elves don't like roofs and none of the buildings in this community have roofs of any kind whatsoever (laughs) your face is exactly how i felt about it when that happened oh no why (laughs) because because obviously the elves are my big bad in my campaign going forward. <gasps> and it now means that all of my ruins have to have no roots because they have to be consistent with the rules oh. of that So on one hand, I've got all of this wonderful material. I've got these beautiful fish. I've got these bears. I've got all of this stuff. On the other hand, I have to abide by some of the rules that were set out in this thing. So it's a real give and take. You have to be quite creative with your dungeons when none of them are allowed roofs. <laughs> But now every time they see a floaty fish or uh, Mm. the one time they've seen one of these bears show up, their hearts are in their mouth. They're like, you know, we did this, we made this. Fairly recently, um, they came across a a monster. So I I did one round of the quiet year to set up the the big bad, to set up the elves in this whole colonization attempt. And then I did a microscope game to bridge the time period between quiet year and when the campaign starts. We'll Ah. talk about microscope in a bit, I think. Mm. And I did the microscope game with different players who are friends of my game. Mm. So they really got to stick it to them. They really got to put some things into play that are, are really troublesome. <laughs> and one of the things Eva, bless her soul, put into play was unicorns. Eva is a strong subscriber to kind of like dark Polish myth. And mm. these unicorns are horrifying. So 
my players meet this unicorn and all of them but one who's lived with Eva in the past are like super stoked they're like unicorns yay great wonderful and the one who is friends with Eva is silent it's just deathly silent and these things are made of pure cold and if you touch them you will shatter they are crazy they're beautiful and white and silvery and have little like flakes of snow drifting around them at all times but they're also awful constructs that will kill you (laughs) amazing when you've got that kind of thing in play and when one of your players knows it then the joy of it is of oh, this world. The only time I've had something which is better, I have one small more ramble and then no, shut up for a second. No, 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 go for it. Is um in the aforementioned previous campaign, which was the cinematic one, one of my players was also one of my best friends in the town we were playing. So I was hanging out with him quite a lot. And his character had built up this relationship with the local dwarfs community and was super was super stoked to be in investigating them and being more involved with them and all that kind of jazz and i i happen to know tom's sibling quite well so uh this party they wind up dungeon delving they wind up in this dwarvish community and then things start going horribly wrong kind of someone shows up with this artifact they've carved and it just doesn't look right Mm. one of the dwarves winds up drowning it it all just all of these things start kind of coming together and about two-thirds of the way into the session tom pales and it's like what did you say that dwarf's name was because i've been just rattling off dwarven names as we go Mm -hmm. And I tell him, and he just turns to the rest of the group and he's like, we've got, to, we've got to get out. We've got to leave right now. We have to leave. And I've never seen a player be quite so terrified. And the reason he was terrified is because I, I got their sibling to steal their Dwarf Fortress files. Ooh. So um, Ooh. they were playing inside their own Dwarf Fortress uh, instance, and they knew how bad it was going to get. I love it. Anyway, all of this, the microscope Dwarf Fortress... I should state that he'd done similar pranks on me in the past. It was entirely reasonable. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, Of yeah. course. And um, the quiet year stuff is all is all just my pitch to say this one thing, which is obviously within the realms of consent and constraint and have, making sure everyone has a fun time, mm-hmm. but make it personal. Like, mm-hmm. if you can get your party to invest, involve themselves, create parts of your world, you're going to be in for a just a great ride. Yeah, I, I think there is something amazing when you come together and create a world. I think the, the caveat I have is that make sure everyone's on the same page. Yeah, so one thing I did discover whilst playing The Quiet Year, you know, maybe don't drink as much because they got to they got to a point where one uh, we're both sort of like, you know what would be great? Radioactive llamas. But this doesn't fit with the setting because <laughs> we'd gone for like a Mad Max sort of thing. But it, it then became very much the sort of a welcome to Night Vale sort of thing. So and then there's just like that creeping sense. You look up in the tree and there's all these llamas there standing looking at you and you're like, well, that's terrifying. Yep. But, but when, it, but I guess it was because when we introduced it, it was just like, I can't think of anything llamas, uh, which is a very improv thing where you got just say the first thing in front of your, in your face. So I guess for me, like I, I love that sort of thing that happens to me in games when I, I notice something and I go, this is not right. Something's wrong. And I'm trying to work backwards. And it, again, I will tell my own anecdote here where <laughs> we'd been tricked once before by this big bad who can, is definitely can change their skin. And there are changeling. It got revealed later on and spoilers. I died and was playing a different character. And they were, we were talking to this other one. who said, well, we need to find out this murderer. Da, da, da. And I was like, this person doesn't normally talk like this and i was like can i can i there's something off can i roll whatever and, and i rolled paul and i was like shit and, I, and then i sat there going it's not this person it's not this person and i'm just there going because it's happened to us before and i can't tell people out of character mm. and then 
of course, what happens? The person goes out and the messenger comes, oh, I'm so sorry. She's coming straight away. She's just been delayed at the, the temple. And we go, well, we just spoke to her. And I was like, no, we, we didn't. didn't. No, we didn't. <laughs> no, we didn't. We told, no. her, we told her all of our plans. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're screwed. And now we have to run after her and kill her. <laughs> so, but yeah, there's some, it is, it's a different way of doing it. Because again, you had that stuff at the beginning where you could like do, um, oh, what's your connection to your other characters? Is there a bond? Is there a relationship? So, so that's very sort of interpersonal party, which you can do. But I think something on the world makes them instantly engageable. Because sometimes I think people just go, Oh, uh, this one's nice. I, I, it's like I like what you've done. I like walking around in it, but I don't. Maybe there's that point where you're either I trash it, uh, either on purpose or accident, and people are like I don't. On <laughs> usually on purpose, yes. but I, I think it's it's such a nice thing because then you have yeah, you said it's like giving that ownership to people. Said, oh, I created that. Holy shit! It's yeah, such a wonderful feeling. Yeah, it is. It is astounding, and it, even the even the. the things where you've not quote-unquote won there even where you've taken on something and you're like oh i've got a even when your elves hate roofs then you still as your players watch you wrestle with that and make it work mm -hmm. then they're invested they've got that emotional connection they're like we did that to them mm -hmm. like we made their life hard in this way mm -hmm. and it's only right that we now see how it plays out mm -hmm. so there's a lot of buried towns there's a lot of towns which you know used to be on the surface and then now mountains have fallen on top of them or overgrowth mm -hmm. come over the top of it or whatever but every time they enter a new old elven town that has been somehow dragged beneath the earth mm -hmm. at least my dwarven player who's like we probably did this uh <laughs> super stoked <laughs> Oh, amazing. Yeah, I gotta be honest, as soon as you said that there's no roofs, it just reminds me of that joke of like uh, Sherlock Holmes and Watson like staring up at the sky and goes, what do you what do you think's happened here, Watson? And Watson reels off all these things and he goes, no, Watson, someone's stolen our bloody tent. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's all I can see. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very good. I've got a couple of other bits and pieces that came back around. So the uh, the whole children wandering off into the woods and coming back mm. thing, um, that made its way into our halflings. In Ruinheart, the deal with the halflings is there. it's very bad luck to uh, confront a halfling and tell them they're halfling. Uh, the Ooh. thing you have to do, like the social compact, is to never mention it and just to welcome them into your communities like they're perfectly normal and everything's fine and never mention it and everything is cool. Obviously, you set this thing up that is an absolute standard in D&D. Like, everyone does welcome halflings. Everything is cool. They're perfectly fine in the communities. But the minute you make it explicit, everyone's like, no, wait, something, yeah. something's going on under the hood here. Something weird has happened. <laughs> and when you've, uh, when your players have previously set up this rule, this rule about children walking to the forest and coming back and weird, then they get to fill in the gaps around that. They get to be like, A, we did this, and B, kind of we feel like we've got some involvement here. Mm -hmm. So if you as a DM then want to turn around to your players, your player who's playing your halfling, and be like, what did happen? Like, you know, mm. well, the rest of the pie aren't there. Tell me what you think occurred. Like, give me your theories on it. Mm. And you don't have to take that stuff as gospel because they're a character and they've got ideas and opinions on where they come from. Mm -hmm. But it's just yet more fuel. And the more that you use that came from them, the more attached they will be to that to that idea mm. very twilight zone i love that like <laughs> nobody mentions it but it's, everyone's like mm -hmm. the spin-off reminds me of um there was somebody and i'm sure you saw this as well where somebody had a, a module that they were running them through and they were like mm, a lot of this is uh, a lot of the people in power it's just a lot of male characters so i'll just gender flip them so there was yeah. only one male character which was like the blacksmith's husband and the players were like 
no. Something. What they, What have they done to you? Where are all the men? Because <laughs> obviously it feels weird, even though it isn't. Yeah, it completely. You know, it just so happens. Like, like actually, we'll just just change it. And it, it, obviously, nothing was untowards or nothing to end. And that's what I love is like having stuff like that where there isn't untowards, but having I, I, again, is that sort of thing where consent and obviously manipulation, all that sort of thing, is you know. Mm, but I love it because. That weird sort of player paranoia, which we all have, and you're just just playing off it. And like I, I still second guess stuff. Like we, like recently we've had a huge big battle, which we barely won, and and then it was an off-screen battle with another big bad, and they were, and destroyed. And the person who said, yeah, yeah, they've been destroyed, and I'm and they're going, I don't trust my ally anymore. I, I'm, I'm just gonna not and i'm like i'm sure it's fine i'm sure like why why wouldn't it be fine that they're, they're a big ancient dragon they could have handled this and i'm like no 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 we've mm. been we've been burnt too many times by this fire <laughs> before this whole this whole process it's really classic fantasy writing in some ways it's set up rule then violate rule mm. and as long as the bounds in which the rule works and you not respecting that rule everyone's comfortable with it as long as you've discussed your so also it might have like a fails and limits and all of the kind of safety toolkit stuff you would expect that's just really priceless once you've got that boundary set up like we can't have these spiders we've got an australian player that's fine um that's entirely reasonable mm. once you've set those boundaries up then you know create rule violate rule but as many of those rules as possible get your party to create them yeah, definitely. Like one thing I've started doing, uh, boundaries and foundries. So you, you do the lines and veils and stuff, but foundries is something that you want to happen in play. Uh, it's come from improv. So like for me, I uh, I don't know how you feel as a DM, but I love challenges. Well, actually, you know, you probably love challenges. Well, like elven houses without roofs. Yeah, how do you call it? Like I love being told I, I need to do a rap album or to read from my read from my own work, you know, a work in progress novel. And I'm like, of course, get ready. <laughs> Here it comes. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know all that sort of thing. I absolutely love those challenges, and that being—that's what the one I always use as my example. But I'll be like, it could be as big or as small as you want. So one game I ran recently, Slick Blaster, there was like, you know, oh cool, sick wipeouts, uh, rival teams, and <laughs> and then someone was like, fanny packs, and I was like, do you mean bum bags? And they went, yes. What, what is that word? And uh, yeah, Americans <laughs> oh. and introducing bum bags to people is a it's been a great concept. But the fact you know you're like oh yes, and you reach into your bum bag and you pull out your laser, and they're like yay! That's <laughs> the <laughs> delight that they've got to have a bum bag in a city sci-fi. Teenagers going to other universes via skateboards. You know, That's spectacular. The, the yes no veils limits thing mm. takes completely into microscope which is the other yes game yes please please so tell us what what is microscope then so microscope is um one of a whole suite of games from someone i will put a link in the you will put a link in the... i can do uh, they are ben robbins thank you very much um i'm terrible with names um has a whole suite of games that are about kind of digging into the bits of kind of tabletop and fancy that you don't normally dig into or you don't normally have a mechanism to do so with. Mm -hmm. And Microscope is a way of laying out histories for settings and just a bit. And it, it starts up with this yes-no process, like things you definitely want to see, things you definitely don't want to see. And then you build kind of eras, scenarios, and see, uh, periods, events, and scenes. Yeah as you go along that can be light or dark in nature and it's another one of these games where if it's not your turn you don't get to respond directly to what's happening mm. you get to respond in your turn which uh means that when you've got you know agency you've got all of the agency which is kind of a bit dizzying and super empowering and lovely mm -hmm. but also when you don't have it you're a bit 
like passenger in the car, like you're going along for the ride. <laughs> uh, and it means that microscope games go off the rails really quick. Uh, that um, lots of things show up that you didn't expect to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our Pantheon one, Mira introduced, I won't spoil it too much, but like babies in a way that I did not see coming no, at all. I don't think any of us saw it coming. <laughs> nope. Nope. And now we're bound to that rule. We're going to have to figure out how to use it. Great. Mm-hmm. So it goes left field real fast. And you wind up with a really rich, um, dynamic history very mm-hmm. quickly. And when you get down into the scenes part of it, mm. you can wind up with these beautiful little, uh, beautiful little parts of role playing that mm. inform you about the kind of world you're in. Mm. So, Ruinheart, my home game, was always, uh, and obviously the name is supposed to advertise the fact it's you know it's an emotional deal, um, but uh, it's always supposed to be kind of um i really like pastoral horror as a genre mm. and i really like Guillermo del toro and i wanted this kind of pastoral horror game that was by turns claustrophobic despite the fact you're outside mm. and really beautiful and full of wonder that you mm-hmm. would skip from you know a, a fairy grove directly into a spriggan like this giant creature just up in your face and about to pound you into the dirt mm-hmm. And I, I kind of had that in mind. But we went through this microscope game, and one of the scenes uh, was a, uh, a British-style bake-off with magic. Oh, my God, yes. So it turned this this very pastoral, slightly horrifying game of wonder into something that was actually a lot more rural and mm. a lot more kind of small magics, hedge magics kind mm. of style. You don't get that unless you drill down into these scenes. Mm. And you don't get it unless you really invest in it for a hot minute. So one of the one of the magic artifacts in Ruinheart, which is yet to be surfaced, and will spoilers, mm-hmm. it's a spell book. But the front page of it is a recipe for a pie. Oh. <laughs> and if you can read it, anyone can make it wow. to the point of pure lunacy. So during this during this microscope scene, we had this Mary Berry stand in, like get show the recipe to you know people on death's door who kind of would get up from the table start making this pie put it together and then like lie back down on their deathbed and pass out wow. we would have like small children who were like two make this pie at one point a pig gets shown in the recipe and, like, and just goes off and makes the recipe <laughs> so this recipe is truly like an anyone can make it thing mm-hmm. and that that has informed the magic of the setting ever since this idea that it's super like it can be horrifying but it can also be everyday and mm-hmm. and beautiful in its own right and compared to the quiet year which is obviously about one community about one space or location within a set time period microsoft like you said it's, it's about epic histories and it can be about like the seeds of it we're talking like you know an empire that falls and rises again and all that sort of things and you can yeah what's great about it is that you can fit it to anything but yeah the scenes of it so like you said you've got your periods and you've got the events and then inside of that you get the scenes and the scenes in it I love because yeah it's that sort of thing where the idea is that you ask a question and you don't know what the answer is until you play out the scene and I think that's so important nowadays Uh, it's something in improv that we do as well is that you don't think about what's coming next you just stay in the here and now so that idea like here's the question let's figure it out right now what do you feel right now and looking at the the way that the scenes happen so you've got obviously you say you say the question what the question is you set the scene and then you have people choose the characters or what they do but then they reveal their thoughts which i thought was such a cool idea like you know you say one thing but you think another because that happens all the time and and it's just such a cool way to, to voice it out and to have that going around and the one thing i wanted to point out in in this is that the idea that this tone thing of light and dark which it affects everything 
and one thing I, I took away from our Pantheon game is that we love our dark stuff, don't we? Oh my word! <laughs> what the hell? It's because we, I don't know what it is. I think, like, I, I'm always that person who's like, yeah, I, I produce really cool content that's like, yeah, positive. And then I'm like, oh, but maybe they mean this instead of it's a hidden agenda. And oh, it's dark after all. And you were the darkest of all of us. I think I was. Ones, you were the one who put the most dark stuff into play. I know. And yet, John, who comes across as being hyper sinister from time to time, is absolute sweetheart. Yeah. And all of this wonderful, heartwarming, you can't tell. When you step into a game of microscope with someone, you don't know whether they're going to lean. Which way they're going to go? Yeah, I, I was surprised. I was genuinely surprised. Oh yeah, and I think com- the, the, another difference between the Quiet Year and Microscope is that there's a big s- sentence in uh, the Microscope Year, which is that you build on each other, uh, yeah. but the way it's laid out is that you don't collaborate because, like you said, you go, "Well, it's my turn. I'm saying these things," and people can go, "Cool." Uh, I think in our game, because obviously we were learning it for the first time, certainly it was the first time I'd ever played Microscope. It was quite helpful just to be like, "Is this is this what I'm supposed to do?" And you're like. Yes, and that that was helpful. Or you're like, I can't think of ideas, and then someone would say, "You could think this," and you're like, "Okay," and then you switch your own twist on it, which I think M- Mira did quite a bit. Which I was like, "Oh god." <laughs> it's advisory though, and you really you mm. are given license to completely ignore or not. Yes. One other thing I'm just going to say about both of these games mm. is you can run off with the content you generate, which is absolutely what I've done with Ruinard, but you can also run off with structure. And I mm. think that's something that is done less frequently, maybe. Mm. Um, so Ruinard is organized in three seasons in the same way that, in the same way that The Quiet Year was organized in three seasons and almost kind of like TV show-esque in a way. So mm. there's, uh, it starts in spring, then summer, then autumn. Each season has its own different feel and tone and the cards you pull in quiet year all the spring season uh they're often about building they're often about kind of developing stuff the summer is often about things kind of coming to fruition and then the mm. autumn is things coming back which you maybe didn't expect mm-hmm. so you can build it like that so you absolutely you can run off with quiet year structure and import it directly into a, a long-running DD game no problem can mm-hmm. recommend but also what we've done is separate each of the seasons by 10 years Ooh. so my players started off as 10-year-olds in spring, which was... You have to set some rules up. So um, when we did that, I did a lot of kind of early conversation with my players. I was like, are you comfortable with this? We're going to run it like an Enid Blyton adventure. We're going to run it like you're the famous five and nothing truly bad is going to happen to you. No one's going to die. Like, nothing crazy is going to happen. If you enter a zone that is dangerous, I'm going to kind of give you a big, like, danger warning you can back out if you want to kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And any any bad thing that happens will only ever be the consequences of your actions, not anybody else's. So yes. you get to really take a lot of things off the table. Like no yeah. one's getting, there's no power dynamic with adults in the mm-hmm. game because they're pretty much absent. Like all good, like kids' adventures. I was going to say, yeah, mom is in the kitchen somewhere. <laughs> right, always somewhere else. So you really have to set that up. Mm-hmm. But then you can do this like Enid Blyton style adventure. Mm-hmm. And in the spring, which is what we're currently trying to wrap up, mm-hmm. you're all about 20. Mm-hmm. And the rules change slightly. So people can get hurt. People can, things can start to be dangerous. And choices you make now can really inform your future in a big way. Mm-hmm. And then autumn's going to be 10 years on. Everyone's going to be about 30. And as we go through, the themes will change from kind of exploratory and, you know, friendship is magic and all that kind of jam through to kind of really finding your way in like learning who you are in spring through to kind of dealing with the consequences of your earlier actions and obviously in autumn you can die (laughs) (laughs) dealing with all the bad things Um, allegory (laughs) Uh, 
again, just a pitch. When you're looking at indie games like this, uh, like these, like Microscope, like Quiet here, like a whole bunch, like Monster Hearts, which is beautiful, oh, mm-hmm. then you can run off with a lot of the concepts and import them into uh, quite, you know, big mainstream games. And they, mm-hmm. they often work beautifully. Like, absolutely, go back in time, explore what your, your party was like as teens. Mm-hmm. That stuff is a rich vein. It's wonderful. As long as you set the rules up to make sure everyone understands that no one's going to get hurt and mm-hmm. everything is going to be kind of above board. Yeah, definitely. I oh, I love that idea. Like, yeah, like an in blind adventure with maybe a little twist on it. Because sometimes, like, sometimes you do it when you're like, okay, we're gonna do. But I received stereotypically as the, the body swapping episode, but it's like, oh, we'll go back in time ten years or blah, 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 blah. and it, it's a com- it's a comedy. I said, oh look, as as kids, you were like this, ah, oh, idiots. You know, there's something I've always said for me rather than anyone else is like, you know, your priorities change every six months. You are a different person to what you were, uh, you know, six months a year ago or whatever. And yeah, I God, playing a ten year old, uh, any of any of my D and D characters would have been awful but it'll be fun but i again because of the way i i've imagined what the backstory was again any flashbacks or anything like that i think like i i would enjoy playing it but i don't know if anyone would want to watch it (laughs) because yeah no 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 no. maybe not but um it can be awful but Mm. there are other things for to recommend it two of my party members i won't say which so when they listen to this they have to have an argument about it um two of my party members would not get on if they didn't know each other as kids oh they but the fact that they all knew each other as kids and they went through some pretty major events means that now i don't have to answer the question what are you doing together Mm. and i don't have to answer the question like why are you doing this Mm. they're together because they've known each other since they were 10 or before that Mm -hmm. and they're doing this because they care about the community which they were raised in Mm. and all of those tropes of like you meet a wizard in an inn because of course you fucking do it's like (laughs) i don't have to i don't have to deal with it i can i I have written adventures based around that trope but you don't you don't Mm. have to deal with it when you've got this rich world everyone's invested in Mm -hmm. and you've got backstory that has been actually one last thing on this i have a pet page and I, this is going to make me wildly unpopular amongst basically everybody, but never mind. Do it. Um, character backstory mm-hmm. handed to a DM in two to three pages isn't worthless, but I'm going to go through with a yellow marker and highlight like six words, yep. and I'm going to take them forward. And that's all I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And yes, I want you to feel invested and involved, but player backstory acted out on screen mm-hmm. is ten times as valuable and Rather than this is, I think this is why the session zero idea is its time has come is because mm. you know those three pages of backstory you get handed, you're like, well, this is cool, but like you're even you don't care about it this much. No. Like even you don't really care about it to the point where you'll you know you'll throw yourself into a chasm for it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you play that stuff out as kind of ten year old like volum the dwarf, then you maybe you would throw yourself into a chasm for it. Like mm. you get a lot more emotional um, investment. Oh, definitely. I, I see backstories, again, it's useful for the DM, but like you should literally have bullet points. Uh, some, you know, a, like a couple of family members, if you're that sort of person, and just something to help you as a player get into your character. I don't, yeah, I, I agree. Like there's been a couple of times where someone has sent me like, yeah, yeah, a page or two and I've gone, this is lovely creative writing. Um, nine out of 10, what's it for? Uh, yeah. Which is, again, it's not, it's not a horrible thing because you think this is absolutely what you've done is great, but it is all your input. It's, it has, it is an isolation to everything else and this game because they could have written like an amazing thing but it's like this is not this is good but it's not for this uh it's not for this uh it's not for water deep uh, dragon heist it's yeah. not for curse of straw it's not for any of these monsters i've written all for your own homebrew campaigns where or for, your friends, or for the rest of the party like yeah. it doesn't establish any relationship with anything 
yeah and exactly that's, that. that's the thing you need is the relationship with your staff yeah and and i think that's that's the, going back to it yeah like the thing with the microsoft game and the the quiet yeah is that you have the opportunity because then you've already made links with your players creating this world it's like okay now to take that on to to player backgrounds and stuff so yeah absolutely I think the only thing I was going to add is that one thing I love about having games like this, having the prompts and stuff, is that you can get prompts for anywhere. So obviously, as we said before, you can change all these things. One thing I've discovered, and you probably do know about this, Steve, but um, in one of my writing classes I did, there's the Oblique Strategies, which is like a set of cards, like 40 cards that you can, and you just take one and it'll have like a phrase or a word on it, and then that will be your writing thing. And there's stuff which would be like, it, it's usually it is like um, wafty stuff, like looking from a different perspective. Oh, oh wow! Okay. Oh. <laughs> but I quite like that, as in, like you literally have statements like that, and you're like, "Now, what's your character? Now, now, what do you do?" And so that's even more more abstract than actually asking you questions. It's just more like, "Do something from this perspective, or do something which is inspired by the statement." It's like getting like getting a suggestion from an audience when you're doing improv. Uh, you don't have to take it literally. You could just be like, "What does this make you think of?" and then work from that. So that that that's the only thing I could think of is like if you weren't like, oh, "I hate getting questions," and ah, oh, why do I always have to ask questions? It's more getting like single word prompts from stuff like the oblique strategies or even just using a random word generator. Yeah. Wow. We, God. Well, whoa, we've like talked for such a long time on these things. Thank you so much, Dee, and thank you for talking, sharing with us your your own experiences with your your home games. I well, if I wish I was a player in your game, even though I now all the stuff. Uh, I will, I will. I'll have written my own uh, funeral, but it's fine by the time it gets to you. But you know, that's what you want. You want to write your own funeral scene. That's what you prefer. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. D, where can we find your work? What are you up to? What are your big plans for for future D? So obviously we've got Pantheon business yes. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, as you are, stoked about that. I think it's going to be a wild ride. Mm-hmm. We're going to put some episodes in pocket on that and then later this year start releasing them. Mm-hmm. Um, so watch out for that. I have uh, another project because obviously, you know, want to have this incredible project, but got to have a side hustle. Got to have a side um, hustle. So I've got a little Patreon, uh, which is going to start kind of coming online as Pantheon does, maybe a little bit earlier than that. Um, and the rough idea for that is, I kind of, kind of like your, your prompt uh, comment earlier, is what's the smallest you narrative unit you can build a world out of? Um, hmm. How can you take one very simple story and tie everything into it? Is there a mechanism you can do that by? Hmm. And... Uh, are the products of that mechanism worth it? So it's going to be uh, a whole bunch of fiction kind of coming out around this very core central idea and then kind of crunch that will help you use that fiction in your games as it goes. So that's uh, the World Shapers Atlas on Patreon. Excellent. And there'll be a link to it in the episode notes as well. So, oh, I mean, that's so exciting. Like you've got a project with me and then you're doing your own project. You're doing all these projects, dude. That's, that's amazing. At least three. Uh, <laughs> at least three gotta have a side hustle i like that well my side hustle is the what am i rolling podcast it is a twice monthly rpg one-shot podcast um as always as people who listen to this epi- uh, these episodes it's going well um i uh d i actually uh, was, was in a warhammer fantasy role-playing one-shot very recently yeah. there's a lot <laughs> There is a lot. I, I've made the joke before, but um, you know you're in a bit in trouble if you, the sheet is buffering as you're starting to scroll on the PDF. Oh. <laughs> on that note, I can recommend Grant Howitz from Nice Marines. It's so much fun. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've, got, I've seen it. I've not, I've not played it, though. That looks so, so much fun. Ah, 
but yes yeah, so, and thanks to that i will be i guess by the time this episode's gone out there i will be on a live stream playing uh i think it's victory and valor or something like that oh uh, this is gonna be really awkward when it comes around and goes no fiona you're warhammer uh, who is this person but it's, it's <laughs> but it's it's, it's it's i'm really honored to be asked so that that'll be fun and yeah all stuff coming up we've got the expanse coming up we've got the uh the land of eam which is a uh, a muppets meets adventure time type game which Sorry, is really, really fun. oh it's great i'll send you the links to it it's, please do it's, that sounds awesome it's got so many tables, D. So, like, I, I've always I've talked about this before, but one of my favorite dungeon trap tables is that there's a person that's just guarding a door, and they go, "What is a good password?" And you have to convince them that your suggestion is a good password, and that's it. <laughs> that's great. That's super good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, and we will be here next time. Tune in then. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.